Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the second Sunday of Lent. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who have commanded us to listen to your beloved Son, be pleased, we pray, to nourish us inwardly by your word, that with spiritual sight made pure, we may rejoice to behold your glory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. God put Abraham to the test. Abraham, Abraham, he called. Here I am, he replied. Take your son, God said, your only child Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him as a burnt offering on a mountain I will put out to you. When they arrived at the place God had pointed out to him, Abraham put an altar there and arranged the wood. Then he stretched out his hand and seized the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, he said. I am here, he replied. Do not raise your hand against the boy, the angel said. Do not harm him, for now I know you fear God. You have not refused me, your son, your only son. Then looking up, Abraham saw a ram caught by its horns in a bush. Abraham took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in a place of his son. The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven. I swear by my own self it is the Lord who speaks, because you have done this, because you have not refused me, your son, your only son. I will shower blessings on you. I will make your descendants as many as the stars of heaven and the grains of sand on the seashore. Your descendants shall gain possession of the gates of their enemies. All the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your descendants as a reward for your obedience. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted, even when I said, I am sorely afflicted. O precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. Your servant, Lord, your servant am I. You have loosened my bonds, a thanksgiving sacrifice I make. I will call on the Lord's name. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. My vows to the Lord I will fulfill before all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. With God on our side, who can be against us? Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up to benefit us all, we may be certain, after such a gift, that he will not refuse anything he can give. Could anyone accuse those that God has chosen? When God acquits, could anyone condemn? Could Christ Jesus? No. He not only died for us, he rose from the dead, and there at God's right hand, he stands and pleads for us. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. From the shining cloud, the Father's voice is heard. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain where they could be alone by themselves. There, in their presence, he was transfigured. His clothes became dazzlingly white, whiter than any earthly bleacher could make them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter spoke to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, it is wonderful for us to be here. So let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And a cloud came, covering them in shadow. And there came a voice from the cloud. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Then suddenly when they looked round, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they came down from the mountain, he warned them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They observed the warning faithfully, though among themselves they discussed what rising from the dead could mean. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think you have to scratch too deeply beneath the surface of the scriptures to find out that um, details are pretty important. The details that are included by the gospel writers, they're not just filling to help us, you know, get a sense of the scene. The details aren't just, you know, packing foam surrounding the essential storyline. No, the details communicate a lot. Uh, and I find often it's it's a good question to ask, well, why did the gospel writer bother to tell us about this or that? Why tell us about the time of day? Why tell us about the place where it happened? These sorts of things are, um, are questions that can help unpack a little bit of what the gospel's getting at. But in order to allow these details to come together into a kind of biblical symphony, we need to get into the mindset of the scriptures to see what these little bits and pieces are getting at. And I think it's important to hone in on one particular detail in the gospel today, and it's the two figures of Moses and Elijah. These aren't accidental details, and they're not there just to kind of fill out the picture a little bit to make us feel like we were actually there. No, Moses and Elijah are two giants of the Old Testament. We can't imagine the history of Israel without either of these two figures. And Moses particularly, he stands for the law. Remember, Moses was the one who went up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments to receive God's law for the Israelites. Tradition has it that the first five books of the Old Testament are from Moses. They're the Torah, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Elijah, on the other hand, stands as the great prophet, the high point of the prophetic tradition in Israel. So here we see the two great pillars of Israel's faith, the law and the prophets. In fact, for a Jew of Jesus' time, if you wanted to refer to the whole scripture, all of divine revelation, the shorthand way of doing it was to say the law and the prophets. 
And if that sounds familiar, you're right, because Jesus does that himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, if you recall, the Pharisees are testing Jesus and they ask, which of the commandments is the greatest? And Jesus replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, says Jesus, hang all the law and the prophets. By referring to the law and the prophets, Jesus is summing up all of Revelation, all of Scripture. Maybe now we're getting a little bit of a hint as to the importance of this detail, that Jesus, in his transfiguration, is conversing with Moses and Elijah, the great representatives of the law and the prophets. All of Revelation is now conversing with Jesus. But bear this in mind. The law was what separated Israel, was what set them apart from the rest of the world. We see at Mount Sinai that God makes a covenant with the people that he's just rescued out of slavery. He chooses them out of the whole world and through Moses gives them a law. These 12 tribes, they now become God's people. But here's the thing. The Israelites weren't picked out by God from the rest of the nations because God plays favorites. No, they were chosen because they were the ones to have a mission. They were to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people set apart. The rest of the world was to look at Israel and the way that they were obedient to God and the law, and they were to recognize that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was indeed the true God, because following the law, everyone would be able to see the great wisdom of Israel. They would become a beacon, a magnet, that would attract all other nations to God. When we go through the history of Israel, however, we see time and time again that they're not obedient to the law. They don't remain faithful to the relationship that they have with God. And where they should be a magnet to the nations, bring them to the true worship of God. Instead, it's Israel that turns to the pagan gods. They don't want to be different from everyone else. And so they adopt the pagan practices. They adopt the worship of the gods of their neighbors. And Israel comes to be overrun by Assyrians, Babylonians, later the Greeks, and now famously in the Gospels, the Romans. Israel was failing in its mission in being overrun by these nations because they weren't faithful to the law. And this is where the prophets come in. The role of the prophets is to call Israel back to faithfulness. The prophets are constantly calling the people back to obeying the law, so that instead of being swallowed up by the other nations, that they may be assigned to them. And the promise contained in the prophets is that there will come one day a Messiah, a Christ, who will lead Israel out of this failure and defeat and who will truly gather all the nations, a Messiah who will truly accomplish the mission that had been given to Israel, to be the light to the nations, to be this beacon to gather all of God's family. The Old Testament, it's an unfinished work because it points beyond itself to promises that haven't yet come to pass. But Christians recognize in Jesus Christ 
the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so here in the transfiguration, we see that the law and the prophets in Moses and Elijah are both pointing toward Jesus. They're speaking to him. In his very person, Jesus is the whole nation of Israel. But where Israel was not obedient to God and to his law, we see that Jesus is obedient. He is the fullest virtue of obedience that Abraham was showing in the first reading today. By Christ's own obedience, he will be the light to the nations. He will be the great magnet. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. In the transfiguration, we see this great reality revealed. That Jesus Christ is the one that the whole testament is leaning toward. Jesus will fulfill the mission of Israel in the Old Testament, but he will do so in a way that is entirely unexpected. Jesus won't achieve great military victories. He won't drive out the enemies of Israel like King David or King Solomon. No, he'll swallow up the true enemies of Israel. He will take upon himself the true enemies, which are sin and death. And so Jesus tells us that when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. I will be the magnet. It's in his cross that this great mission then is fulfilled. Jesus is obedient to the Father. Why? Because he's the Son, even to the shedding of his blood. And we can hear there, right, the echo of Abraham and Isaac. On the cross, he defeats the enemies of all humanity, and it is Christ crucified who becomes this magnet to attract the nations. So the challenge for the disciples was to see that this transfigured Christ is exactly the same Jesus as the disfigured Christ on the cross. In his transfiguration, Jesus becomes light, and his clothes shine brighter than any earthly bleacher can make them. But it will be this same Jesus who will be covered in blood and sweat, dirt and spittle in the hour of darkness. It is this same Jesus who, instead of being flanked by Moses and Elijah, will instead be flanked by two thieves. At the transfiguration, it's the cloud of God's holy presence that declares that Jesus is his beloved son. And yet on Calvary, the darkness that descends is the eclipse of the sun. And instead of hearing the voice of the father, we hear the anguished cry of the son. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's all the same Jesus from glory to anguish. But this contrast we see particularly in Peter. Peter goes from saying, Lord, it is wonderful to be here, to running away and not being able to stand at the foot of Jesus' cross. From the mountain of the Transfiguration to the mountain of Calvary, we see one constant. It's Jesus. And he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in glory and in suffering. So our task during Lent 
is to prepare for Holy Week. Our prayer, fasting and almsgiving are all aimed at the celebration of Christ's suffering, death and resurrection. We go through this self-denial so that we might be prepared to see the truth about Jesus on the cross. That he is the fulfilment of the law and the prophets. During his passion, this dazzling vision of Christ disappears. He's stripped of these white garments. And the onlookers see only a man cursed by God, a man ridiculed, beaten and tortured. But Lent sharpens our spiritual vision. In the suffering Christ, we still see the reflection of the transfigured Jesus, who is fulfilling the law and the prophets. That lifted up from the earth, he is drawing all men to himself. And so our Lenten practices, they make us docile, so that we might be among the ones drawn to the foot of the cross as to a magnet and that we might cry, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.